Blog Talk Radio. with a criminal matter, has the right to have their case heard before. A judge or judicial officer of the court is entitled to a fair and public hearing by a competent, independent and impartial court. Have strict court rules enforced such as the right of reply, rules of evidence, and be found innocent or guilty beyond reasonable doubt. Yet, our most vulnerable can have their rights, assets, and decision-making rights removed by a public servant of the state, not a judge, in a tribunal setting, that can ignore evidence and facts, and, determine matters as they see fit, and, conclude matters based, on probabilities alone. Are you scared yet? If you're not, you should be. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online. This, of course, is the TS Radio Network, and we are back after the holidays. I hope everybody had a great holiday, a good Christmas, and a happy new year, and all of that stuff. Uh, We needed a break. It was desperately needed, and we're back and fired up again. Now, this last year has seen a lot of activities, seen a lot of things going on. We had another bill come out, another fluff and buff, the Carolyn Bill however you say that, Carrie Lynn or whatever, the bill on its surface is good. Unfortunately, it lacks any penalties for wrongdoing and any enforcement, so it makes it basically worthless. Um, so if you don't abide by what's in the bill, there's no penalty for not doing so. But people glommed onto it, and, of course, you know, it's the end-all, be-all, and it's going to save everybody. It isn't going to save anybody. It is intentionally written that way. It is intentional. Do you understand that? That you were provided no penalty, no no citing of a crime, no declaration of something being a crime. They simply put this thing out there and everybody said, oh, look at what they did. They skinned you. That's what they did. Anyway, there's so many other things going on. Of course, this last year we saw Britney Spears finally out of a 13, 14-year conservatorship. And my God, didn't they milk her for the money? Um, I hope she goes after their dad. And you know who we saw in that case also that was prevalent in the uh, Casey Kasem case was that San Ingram, who was involved in the Kasem case, was also involved in the Britney Spears case. Now, to show you how they make money off everybody, no matter which way you turn, he's supposed to be the legal representative. I was never sure whether it was for her, for the conservators, for whom it was for. But he hires two other law firms, two other law firms to litigate. And he's paying them every month out of her money. Well, obviously, if you're doing that, you can't do your job, resign. But no. But we see this stuff all the time. 
uh, just this backhanded, backdoor, double-dealing, lying with every breath that you take in these cases. One of the things in that promo that played about that they were a state-paid employee, the judge, these people in these tribunals, these are tribunals. They are not courts of law. The law does not apply because the common law I'm talking about, because you are in a specific setting that separates you from the common law, that separates you from the Constitution and your protected rights. You cannot use the Constitution or those rights in a probate tribunal. You don't, you don't have them. And so everything is its like the old Star Chambers courts that the kings had. It was all decided before you ever walked in there. And that is the same way with these cases. Uh, they, it's all decided before you go in. And the facilitator in all of this is that person sitting up there calling themselves a judge. Now, in the context of a tribunal, you don't have judges, honey. You have hearing examiners, ministerial clerks. Now, there are people who are sitting these benches who actually do have a law background and who actually might have been a judge at one time. It doesn't negate that. It's just in the setting you're in, we don't have judges because a judge develops a relationship with the law, and no law applies in probate. They do whatever they want, however they want, as often as they want. Now, I keep hearing all this talk about going to senators and representatives, for God's sake. How many have we done that over the years? The fact is these people are fully aware, absolutely fully aware of what is going on. What they never anticipated was the blowback on it. Now, these hearing examiners are paid by the very people you're fighting. Who do you think is going to win? And these senators and representatives will vote funding for these tribunals, funding for these hellholes they call nursing homes, funding for hospice, which kills I don't know how many thousands of people a year intentionally. We also are now are seeing hospitals exposed for doing the same thing. There's money in it. We, we are at a crossroads here. Now, we keep telling you what all is going on and what's happening, and we get up close and personal with a lot of these cases, but that senator representative is not going to help you. So we've got to figure out another way to bypass them and get done what we need. And remember that everything is local. You're, you're going to these federal people, that to me is a waste of time. That's just my thought. Everything is local. Go to people you have access to. Go to people who you can actually see in person. Um, that's Those are my thoughts. Anyway, tonight, of course, we've got Kaz with us. Say hello, Kaz. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, so, so she's raring to go. She's going to be talking about the outholes of Montgomery County um, and she, what all has gone on there. And then Reverend Ralph is joining us. Say hello, Reverend Good afternoon, everyone, nationwide. <laughs> there you go. Um, and he's going to be talking about some events that have happened here recently with him and the fact that he was threatened with jail for taking a picture of his own mother without permission of the guardian. Guess who got turned into a piece of merchandise? Anyway, we're going to get rolling with all of that. Everybody that's tuned in, I see we have a full board here pretty much. Um Thank you for tuning in, 
And Kaz, I'm going to turn this over to you and let you get this rolling. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I do see that we have a lot of people listening in, and we're so excited. If you run out of time and you can't listen here, you can also listen. One of the things that happened this past year is we are on all the platforms. You can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Pod Addict. I mean, there's so many that there's there even like podcast places in like other countries and we'll get like little notifications that they picked us up. We can't get into the back of the house on those kind of places. We have really no idea how many people are listening overseas, but this is exciting and thank you so much. While I might as well let everyone know what is an hole because maybe you're new to tuning in. The hole that term was coined by Austin Gibson. And it's because there was a judge in Montgomery County named Judge Stanley Ott. And he was, in my opinion, racketeering with all these attorneys and guardians and lawyers, nursing homes, you know, the whole, the whole gamut that we always talk about. And so many of us have found each other because of social media. Some of us, we go back uh, 15 years that we have some people. And it's still the same names that are always racketeering. And so I started our with my family the first time that any sort of court action happened was in 2010. So it's been quite a lot of years. And I'm still seeing the same names of, you know, doing this, in my opinion, racketeering. So anyway, what we call an hole is basically that umbrella of people who, in my opinion, were racketeering with Judge Stanley Ott. This also includes a couple other judges there in Montgomery County. For sure, Lois Murphy. She's right in there with Judge Ott and using these same attorneys and guardians and lawyers to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. But it, no one, no one is ever happy. We have not found one person who is ever happy about these decisions that these judges make or that is happy about the job that any of these attorneys and guardians are even doing. That right there, the fact that we do not have one happy person, and I know of cases going back 15 years, I personally know the victim's family, that that should cause people to be concerned. So anyway, an hole is someone who is racketeering, in our opinion, in the Montgomery County Courthouse, and it's always those same names. So for anyone who's new to what a knothole is, that's what a knothole is. I thought it was a really cute, clever name that Austin came up for us to basically describe who these people are. Now, Reverend Ralph is new onto the scene, just a few years, and he has found out what these knotholes are doing in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, we have an update. You know, we can't wait for the day when Marty, myself, and Reverend Ralph can just, like, go out to dinner on a Friday night because there's nothing more to report. Wouldn't that be a happy day? But unfortunately, it's not the case. So, Reverend, would you like to update us with some of the things that happened over the holidays that are very, very troubling there in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania? Well, thank you, Cuz. Well, I do hope everybody had a nice holiday. Uh, Unfortunately, I was not having a happy holiday. I was in prison for a second time. Uh, 
Judge Gail Weilheimer up in Montgomery County, uh, formerly in Orphan's Court. Now she is in civil court. Uh, with the suggestion by David Jaskowiak, lawyer in Jenkintown, he demanded that I be cited again for contempt of court, as he did exactly one week before Christmas last year. Uh, Mr. Jaskowiak seems to be a big fan of contempt of court charges. Uh, my lawyer, uh, about a year ago, saw a seminar that he was in with another uh, lawyer pertaining to guardianship and another law professor, and Mr. Jaskowiak was bragging that he uses uh, contempt of court charges just to get his way. In other words, using the court as a weapon and to get his way, yeah. which the court's purpose is for justice, not for a little egotistical, self-centered jerk like Jaskowiak just to get his way, basically like a schoolyard bully. And Amen again, to that. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Jaskowiak uh, last year took a section of my website that I had created exposing the guardianship corruption of nationwide and also particular of a very much loved person of mine. That's how I got to be entangled in this mess of guardianship corruption. And because I named the person's name, uh, he felt, just Koviak felt, I was invading this person's privacy. Well, this person's privacy was invaded the moment this guardianship scam was started by a family member who just wanted control of the money. Now, as anybody who has gone fishing knows, when you put a big, fat, juicy worm at the end of a hook, you're going to catch a fish. So basically, when this relative filed a petition against this loved person for the person's assets, massive assets, well, you're going to attract the lowest forms of life on this planet, which in this case was a corrupt judge uh, and the, who, was then, who then assigned David Jaskowiak as this person's personal lawyer. So basically, that got the ball rolling. So basically, uh, I made a very long narrative, about 25 pages, on my website, including pictures, uh, before and after pictures of the person where they lived and where they live now and uh, other facts about this person to show that this person did not need to be guardianized. Well, they don't like to be exposed these corrupt lawyers, the corrupt judges, the corrupt guardians, and the corrupt psychologists who start the ball rolling with their made-up evaluations. Now, for anybody in Pennsylvania, there are no standards or requirements that are mandated to determine what an accurate evaluation is. And when the beginning of this petition hearing was started back in July of 2021, well, I established that by challenging, by uh, interrogating the psychologist that the court hired, supposedly an independent psychologist, when in fact there was no independence about it. It was somebody that had been used many times before. And that psychologist, who I call a quack, his name was George Ladakis. Now, in Pennsylvania, they're called, the evaluations are called IME, 
independent medical evaluations. Well, one of the questions I asked him as a former 41-year criminal investigator was, were there any medical tests done by him on this person? And he said no. So therefore, that starts a fraud. If you're going to call it a medical evaluation, you have to give medical tests. If you're going to sell a product and it's not, going, it's not what it says it is, that's called fraud. If you go to a restaurant and you order steak and they give you a hamburger, well, that's fraud. So this George Ladakis decided to, I don't know uh, what this evaluation was or even if it happened. Because in Pennsylvania, these psychologists who give these made-up evaluations, they do not videotape or audio uh, tape or audio record their interview with these people. So in other words, when they make up the report, these psychologists who claim they are always PhDs, which nobody seems to ever check on that, you can buy fake PhDs on the Internet now, and you have been able to for many, many decades, uh, or in stores. But when the evaluation is done, but there is no recording, no proof that it, was ever, that it ever happened, well, you know, that's just laughable, the fact you have no proof that this person ever said or how he said something before uh, this evaluation is going to be used in court and basically determine the rest of this person's life and their financial status, too. So basically, these quack psychologists are just saying, take my word for it, I gave this person an evaluation. Now, they never allow any of the family members to be there uh, for whatever reason. They claim for privacy. But if the family member wants the person to be there to maybe ask questions or questions later to be asked by the uh, person that was being interviewed, well, there's no proof that it was ever done. So they walk, these psychologists walk into court, flaunt their title of Ph.D., flaunt their so-called experience, which the judge never asks them to document that. It's just take their word for it. Uh, and then that psychologist who, if he's part of this corruption of guardianships, he's just going to lie and always say the person's 100% incapacitated. But the tests, as I have found out, the tests that these quacks do can be easily found on the Internet and downloaded by anybody. And one of the questions that I asked this person, this quack psychologist Ladakis, was, do you have any independent proof of the accuracy of those tests that you gave? And he said, no. He said, my peers liked them. Really, I said. And remember, this is all in a court transcript. And I said, well, how many peers are you talking about? One peer, five peers, ten peers? He was about to answer when Judge Weilheimer stopped them. Now, that's interesting. She didn't want Ooh. to be on record as far as how many peers claimed that this guy's so-called evaluation or his paper and pencil test that he downloaded from the Internet, she didn't want him to say on the record 
how many were ever evaluated by how many people for their accuracy. So you have a situation where would you want a medical doctor to do an operation on you if he claims he did a test, but he has no proof that the test had any accuracy? In criminal no. court, in criminal court, the fact that if somebody, if a police officer, a detective goes into court in front of a jury and he claims, well, this blood spot came from that person who's being accused of a crime, uh, the jury's going to want to know what is the accuracy of the test that analyzed that drop of blood. If the detective says, well, I thought it matched, what do you think the jury's <laughs> going to think about that? I mean, come on, It needs to be people. thrown out. That's yeah. right. And the guy would be laughed out of court. And it's the same today where uh, for the last, what, 20 years, police officers wear body cameras to document what happened at an incident because it will prove just exactly who is telling what uh, the truth. So the problem is sometimes, yeah, good point. sometimes, unfortunately, and this is, Undebatable. This is being debated now. Are the police officers, when an incident happened, are the police officers allowed to view the videotape before they write their report? Because many times, when a uh, incident happens, your adrenaline, you're so pumped up, you don't remember everything that was done or said. So defense attorneys love that. They don't want these officers to see the videotape before they write the reports because they can use the difference of what was said by the officer in his report compared to what actually happened to show discrepancies of what the officer was saying in his report. So it, it's the same thing with these quack psychologists, and I'll bet it's nationwide where these psychologists yeah. do not videotape or audio record the interview with the subject that's being interviewed. Now, how difficult is that to do? Every cell phone can videotape and audio record an event. Everybody knows that. Their cell phones yeah. from 20 years ago can do that. So all you need is a little stand. You put your cell phone on, push record, and there you go. So why aren't these psychologists who brag about they have PhDs, why don't they do that? Because that proves the corruption. When a person is being accused of not being able to make a sentence correctly or count backwards from 100 or something like that, they're expected just to be believed. The, the, the quacks are expected or expect the people, the judge, to believe that's what the facts were when, in fact, there is no proof that the people were ever or had ever answered a question or did not answer a question a way. Now, in, what's interesting is, in court, I asked this quack Ladakis, how many or what medical tests did you do on this person of mine? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, here's a PhD that says, <laughs> what do you mean by medical tests? I said, uh, well... Did you give an uh, eye test? Did you give a hearing test? And he said, well, no. 
Oh, I said, oh, did you know the subject has a 25% hearing loss in one ear? Maybe this person did not hear you say a question correctly. And he basically had silence to that. So when you have these made-up evaluations and uh, that have basically no proof that there are any accuracy to them, and now they're going to be used to condemn this person, this elderly person, basically to a life of uh, uh, incarceration into a nursing home against their will, uh, usually a low-rated one, where their life savings is, are being siphoned off by the corrupt uh, guardian, the corrupt lawyer that, they hires, that is hired by the guardian, and so forth. This, this is a crime, and we all say it, who have gone through this. They're criminals. Yes, they are criminals. It's a new type of crime. You have robbery, burglary, car theft, and all, and now you have guardianship theft or guardianship corruption. Yeah, those go under, those are considered, they call that white-collar crime. So they say there's blue-collar crime and white-collar crime. So blue-collar crime is like you got mugged in the street kind of crime. The white-collar crime are, it's called white-collar because it's people who are dressed up in their nice fancy suits wearing their white-collar. That is quite true. Uh, Yes, perpetrating perpetrating their crimes white collar crime so my dad was an investigator for the securities and exchange commission and he was actually the chief investigator and then became the uh in charge of the midwest division as the ceo so i heard a lot of this white collar crime white collar crime it's harder to prosecute we have more people sitting on our tails here in the united states that are blue collar criminals in that you know, and those are the two the two words that they use. But I believe there is more white collar crime being perpetrated than blue collar crime. Why are we not prosecuting the white collar criminals? Because there they there should be more of them sitting in the jails than what we have going on right now. Very that, hard to prove. That's very true, cause and the white collar crimes usually make the most money by their paperwork that they use to commit their crimes. And when these kind of people have that money, you know, the millions, hundreds of millions and so forth, they're the ones that can hire good quality lawyers. The ones that commit the blue-collar crimes, they're usually ones who end up with public defenders who have usually 100 cases every day, and their only ability is to try to get a plea bargain on each one. They don't have the funds to hire investigators to check out stories and things like that. So, yeah, you're quite right, cause that the white-collar criminals, they're the ones that make the money that can afford the good lawyers to get away with their crimes or simply pay back a fine uh, restitution in order to stay out of prison. So Now, do you wonder if they also are able to pay bribes? I'm just wondering. If you have that much money... Could you pay a judge off? Could you, you know, well, what's going on here? I'd like to know that answer. Because well, why are they participating in this as a judge? It, that, that's a good question, because uh, the way I see it is when you have uh, somebody that's got a lot of money and he hires a high-priced lawyer, uh, I, I just have no doubt that he's kicking back some money to the judge. I mean, Look at O.J. Simpson. He had eight or nine lawyers defending him, each one in a different specialty, 
and he was able to beat the uh, the, the charge only because yeah. the prosecutor just had two, uh, you know, Darden and uh, the woman, I forget what her name was, Marcia Clark, uh, who basically were outgunned. You know, they looked very stupid uh, by what they were not able to show and just how they handled the case. So basically, O.J. Simpson uh, got away with murder. So you have these you know, white-collar criminals. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tom. I have a point. I want to real quick, I want to, uh, a point sure. on this lawyer thing. So this was brought up to me. We had a terrible case, a, a terrible misjustice that happened here in Wisconsin. We were live with Nina Caden as they read the verdict. And it was, it was awful because it ended up being a not guilty verdict after we just heard Nina's testimony. of. And this was the story that happened up in the Mineral Point area in Wisconsin. It was actually, it was actually our most listened to podcast last year was Nina Caden. Anyway, she, one thing that I had heard because it was such a, it was a really big case here in, in my, where I live here in Wisconsin. And, you know, the family hired the big lawyer to get off. And it was, this was uh, two people up for murder. They were on a murder, murder charge of uh, murdering Nina's younger sister. And, the one thing they even had like UW's corner. They had, I mean, it was, it really looked like it was just solid. Like we were going to have a conviction of these, you know, alleged murderers. But what, what, when they ended up getting off and it was a shock, it was an absolute shock. And one thing that I heard is if you are a good lawyer and you're really, really good, you're probably not going to work for the government because you're going to go work for a, private law firm that pays more so this person said to me if we paid the public like our public lawyers the industry standard what they're making outside working for private practice we might be able to prosecute more people now the last thing we want to all talk about is let's pay lawyers more money but I really thought that was a valid conversation to have what do you think about something like that well uh, you are right. Private lawyers, and I've talked to a couple of them who told me they were offered jobs in the, uh, you know, as assistant prosecutors and this and that, and they turned them down. They said, you know, I don't want a job like that. I can make a lot more money by being in the private sector, and that's quite true. When you're in the private right, sector, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Cos. And we can't, I feel like we can't pass judgment on an attorney that says I would make more money in the private sector because like, of course, you have a family that you want to take care of, and it's going to be easier in the product. So I feel like we can't pass judgments on those attorneys that don't do the private sector, the public sector. But what's what's the solution? Well, because it's understandable that everybody wants to make as much money as possible. But I feel very strongly that uh, these shysters, and I call them shysters because, let's face it, if they yeah. were such professionals who were dedicated to their profession, then how, right. can they, how can they leave law school knowing all the problems, knowing that all the law books are written in a foreign language called legalese that nobody can understand, and yet they are subsidizing the lawyer business by, having the court, by paying for the courtroom and the judge's salary and his staff – and uh, the court itself and so forth, how can these lawyers say, 
Well, it's all right to have a private little country club all to themselves called the courtroom, books written in a foreign language called legalese that nobody else can understand, and in the meantime, ignore all the problems of the lawyer business. And this just bugs the heck out of me that they think they're so great as lawyers, the big-name lawyers and all. Well, why don't they fix their own business before they start worrying about how much money they can make? Because they only make a lot of money because they take the clients with the big bucks. But in the meantime, everybody else, the law is not for a few rich people. The law is for everybody, whether you're on unemployment, welfare, or you're a multimillionaire. And as long as these law books are written in such a way that you can't even read it and you have to go to law school to figure it out, that shows how pathetic your business is. Now, for example, uh, in the automobile repair business, uh, if somebody wants to buy an air filter for their car or tune up their car, they can go to Pep Boys or any other automotive place and buy the parts. They can go online and see it in plain you know, YouTube videos how to do it. Great. That shows the professionalism. And there's a, there are books called the Chilton Manuals. The Chilton Manuals have been out for 40, maybe 60 years. And they will tell you, you can look up any car, any truck, any function you want, starter, batteries, whatever, and that will tell you how much the part will cost on the average and how many hours it will take to do it. So you, as a consumer, can verify that if your mechanic is charging you for two hours of labor to replace your starter, you know basically he's telling you the truth. But with lawyers, it's like it's not how many hours it takes them because they can't even prove that they ever spent that time before they billed you by their hourly salary. It's the fact that it's how much money they want that week to make a payment for something. So they can't even prove how much time they ever spent to do the work on your certain item that you're looking for or that you hired him to do. So, again, that shows what I call shysterism, the fact that those people don't even care. And remember, we're not talking about your community law school here. We're talking about Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. And what's interesting is these uh, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, people don't, you know, they talk about uh, the Democrats, Biden, and so forth, have been talking about free college. You know, some of these liberals talk about, oh, everybody should have free college. Well, Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, each one of them have between 20 to 25 billion, that's billion with a B, in endowments in their little treasury. Well, why aren't they Mm -hmm. spending that money? That is the purpose of people giving money to their college, for it to be spent, not to be put in somebody's bank account where you charge the students more money just to attend there. Now, that shows if you have schools like Harvard, Princeton, and Yale sitting on 20 to $25 billion, why isn't that money being used? And especially if you're talking about their law schools, where that money could be used to translate the answer to what I was just saying is, you know, these books written in legalese, the law books, the answer is put it in plain English to the level of a high school graduate. No more of this Latin phrases, no more of these, you know, these 
bumbling uh, expressions or whatever that I, I can't even explain. Yeah. But if for the people, for the listeners, do re, if they remember the Bill Clinton, uh, you know, situation where he was impeached, and remember when somebody asked him a question and he said, and I'm quoting, it depends what the definition of is is. Now that shows pure shysterism. That yeah. you have to define what the word is depending on something. That, that's just garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. But again, yeah. if the law books were translated, and that's something that Harvard, Princeton, and Yale can do with their billions and add it up, that's maybe $75 billion of endowments together, uh, they can translate those law books make the forms very simple for people to use. For example, in every state, there's what's called small claims court. Those courts, they have a basic form. You, uh, there's a limit, usually $10,000 on what somebody can sue for. But the form is very basic. And anybody that has gone through simple uh, lawsuits or whatever, basic law, uh, lawsuits, it's very simple that you need subpoenas. Well, how do you do it? What's the simple, easy way to issue a subpoena? And what is the service? What kind of service do they demand to make it a legitimate subpoena? That's basically the two things that people want to know, subpoenas, how to file a lawsuit, and basically uh, how to fill out any other type of forms, but make it in plain English. I think another thing that would help uh, fix the problem is the bar association. So I know for a fact that many of these Othole attorneys have had their license filed on with the bar association. And for example, attorney Othole Diane Zabowski, we filed, my family filed on hers. And the response that we got back, now I have documents, so I'm, you know, so in one listening, we have the paperwork came back and said, well, we talked to Judge Ott about this, and he said it was okay. Do you know what a judge is? It's a lawyer with a robe. That was a joke. And I know for a fact that we are not the only family that has filed on this woman's law license. And she's been there. I know for a fact that she goes way back into like 2008, 2007, people that I personally know who have dealt with her. She's one of the big ringleaders in the Othole Empire, in my opinion. So well, that's, you know, I mean, so you file, you have multiple people filing on this, not just to the Bar Association, but to every sort of agency that you can think of. And, and nothing's done. I mean, these are flags. Like, you know, if they actually would do their job, why, are, why do we even have these agencies and bar associations and stuff when they don't do anything? Well, that's a good point, Cos, the fact that, again, it's one, one hand holding the other or one person kissing another person's rear end. Uh, the, the Bar Association is basically their disciplinary board, as they call it. It's basically for the consumer, for the public to say, uh, well, look, we – or for the lawyers to say, look, public, we have somebody that deals with a lawyer that's not doing what they should be doing. But it's all superficial. That's all it is. It's superficial. It's like a child at Halloween. He puts a white sheet over his head, and he calls himself a ghost. Well, it's the same thing with the Bar Association. And the Bar Association is, is, is just as corrupt as it can be because 
when they when you do file something, when you do file a complaint against a lawyer, what happens is they'll take it and they'll look at it, but whatever they do with it, they won't tell you what happened. They won't say right. whether they just sent a letter saying you're a bad boy, Mr. Lawyer, or whether they disbar the lawyer. They won't tell you why. Why is it such a secret on what happens to their little members? I mean, what people don't realize is there's 1.2 million lawyers in this country today, and every year we get another 30,000 of them coming into the marketplace. So the fact that, uh, you know, you, you have this dis- so-called disciplinary board, and they basically just give lip service to the public, you know, if they really cared about the ethics and morals of these lawyers dealing with the public, they would want them exposed for what they did and what kind of disciplinary action that they had because that only helps their business by saying to the public, look, if you've got a problem with the lawyer, if he's ripping you off, you contact us and we'll make sure he doesn't do it again. But they don't do that because it's all no. friendship. Well, there's an article, and I don't know if you've seen it. This is floating around on, all over Facebook. And there was an attorney in Florida, and she was just, I mean, this is a, she was a good attorney. She's a pit bull. She got nine wards taken out of guardianship because she was so amazing. She wasn't part of the good old boys. She actually seemed to have some integrity. So according to this article that's coming out of Florida, and I didn't know that we were going to be talking about this. We were just like going, I would have had all the names and everything. But anyway, the Bar Association is trying to guardianize her, basically trying to shut her down because she's doing the right thing. So that was what this article is about. And they sent the police to take her, and they were going to Baker Act her and put her, you know, put her away. But her husband was an attorney also, and basically she's like there was a standoff going on. But this really good attorney – the Bar Association went to Baker Act her to shut her up because she wasn't going along with the marching orders. That, yeah. That's yeah, it's, terrible. Uh, it, it is, cause, and it just shows where the corruption lays, the fact that uh, you've got so many, many crooked lawyers. And, again, they know their business. You can't say 1.2 million lawyers in this country do not know the pitfalls and the problems of their own business. And for them to charge, uh, and it, uh, it's laughable, they, they just uh, basically look at what each other is charging, and they, they have to charge the same rate, basically. But you're talking about the average lawyer today is charging about $325 an hour. That is disgusting. Because these people are just sitting on their rear ends looking in a law book as far as how to do something, and it's basically just paperwork, clerical work. And, again, think about how little they'd be making, how much business they would lose if the law books were written in plain English, that to the level that a 12th grader could understand it. You'd have people doing things themselves, and especially, say, a district court. Uh, in Pennsylvania, district court limit is about $15,000. But, see, here's the problem. If whatever you win in small claims court, 
if you don't like the decision uh, or if the defendant doesn't like the decision, they can appeal it to the Court of Common Pleas. Well, the problem is once you get into the Court of Common Pleas, you're dealing with a, a very, very strict code that those judges demand of the person. And it was interesting when, uh, the, when I was involved with the petition hearing of my loved person, and for those that are new visitors, uh, I have to say loved person instead of the person's name because there's some type of privacy or whatever in orphan's court that the person's name cannot be used. And that's what's gotten me in trouble before, the fact that I wanted everybody to know how uh, this loved person was being uh, scammed over. So that's for all the li new listeners. That's why I call this person my loved person, because this person is very close and dear to me. But as I was saying, the fact that uh, in small claims court, once you, if you don't like the decision, you can appeal it to the Court of Common Pleas, you have to abide as if you were an actual practicing lawyer with a law degree. And when I was involved with this petition hearing a year and a half ago, Judge Weilheimer, uh, I was pro se, meaning I was representing myself, she said to me, she said, you have the right to be pro se if you want, but she says, I expect you to know as much as a lawyer does. And I looked at her like, what the hell, lady? How am I supposed to know what a lawyer is supposed to know when this whole matter was just dumped in my lap? Now, there are no requirements that say people have to go to law school when you're 17, 18, or whatever instead of regular college, just in case maybe once in your life you have to go to court. What is this bit about why does everything have to be strictly adhered just if the person's pro se? Because that is denying them the right to use the courts for their benefit. As I said, exactly. the courts are not for the private country club people that went to law school it's for everybody and if the people are going to be excluded if the average everyday people are being excluded from the courts then the lawyers have to pay or should be paying for the judges salaries for the upkeep of the courtroom for the staff for the equipment for the pathonetary and everybody else if they're going to do that then they should be paying for all of those courts or costs uh, as opposed to an individual person that is being forced to adhere to what a person learns in law school. I mean, how many people can afford law school? They can't even afford yeah. college. They're, they're strapped with a lifetime uh, college um, tuition cost for the rest of their lives. I mean, how can yeah. they afford law school on top of that too? Exactly. I mean, it, it just shows that actual justice of what our founding fathers want is not what our judges want. They're just, you know, probably if they went to school with one of the lawyers, that lawyer is going to get a better decision. And you know the one thing that I, I hate hearing, and I hear I heard this all the time going through all this corruption, well, we can't say that because we don't want to make the judge mad. Do you used to hear this? Don't want to make the judge mad. You know what? Screw the judge. The judge should want justice. And if something that is said in the courtroom upsets them, that's, that's not acceptable. If me as like a cake baker, 
if you want to come and tell me, you know, because you're going to pick out your wedding cake and I'm going to bake you a chocolate cake and a vanilla cake and a lemon cake, and you're going to tell me which flavor you like. But if you say, oh, I don't like the chocolate, and I get all offended and get my, you know, no, I should be like, okay, you don't like the chocolate. What about the vanilla? What about the lemon? How can we work together to find something that you do like? But all this, oh, you can't make the judge mad, you should be able to make people mad. It's, you know, I could feel, like, offended, like, oh, my gosh, they didn't like my cake, you know, but I have to hear that and keep doing my business and keep doing what the customer likes. We are the customers. We are the taxpayers that pay their salaries. We are the customers. And all this, oh, you can't say that, might make the judge mad. Well, we're trying to say truth and point out the racketeering that's happening and to say, oh, you can't say that. We can't bring that up. That'll make the judge mad. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I know that people hear that in this scam all the time. Would you agree with that, Reverend? Have you ever heard, oh, we can't say that. That'll make the judge mad. Oh, I agree with you 100% on that, uh, cause. Again, these lawyers are such little wimps. The fact that, uh, and in my opinion, I would say, 95% of the lawyers never go into a courtroom. Uh, they charge by the hour. It used to be they would charge based on, uh, you know, the case itself. But now they're getting so lazy, these lawyers, they're charging by the hour instead of a contingency rate uh, if they win the case because they don't even know if they're going to win the case. And it shows that they don't really believe in themselves as the quality of a lawyer should be. And what you just said, Kaz, was very true as far as uh, you having customers. We, the lay people, we are the customers in court. We should be yeah. treated with respect. And what really burns me, Kaz, is when uh, you're in a courtroom and that person paid for by the taxpayer, all he does is say, you know, do you swear to tell the truth and all? Well, well what's interesting is I would love – to be in a courtroom where the guy swears me in and he says, do you swear to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I would love to say, hell no, I'm going to lie as much as the judge and the other lawyers do. <laughs> I would love to see that on the record and to see the expression on the judge. But uh, I'll be as truthful as the judge is. There no, you go. I'm going to lie as much as the judge. But it's also yeah. true. Oh, I, I love, love that. I would love to see the lawyers also be sworn to tell the truth. That would shut a lot of them up. I uh, would like to see that, too. I'd like to see the judge swear that they're going to uphold the truth. Yeah, and as oh. I said, it really ticks me off when, uh, you know, the same person, and I, I, I know he has a technical name or whatever, but he says, all rise, the honorable, blah, blah, comes to, you know, yeah. enters the room, and everybody has to stand up. Bull! You know, who the heck does that judge think they are that we have to stand up to honor him or her? That's, yes. you know, that's... When, that's when we were in, with their portrait, their, their painting hanging on the wall behind them, I yeah. just remember noticing that, like, what, why, like, why is his portrait hanging up behind, like, he's some president, you know? Yeah. Oh, my I mean, goodness. It, it, it's very true, cause the fact that... These people, you know, are such egotistical, self-centered jerks that their ego comes first, 
and justice comes, well, that's at the end of the train, like the caboose is. Um, and again, another thing that really ticks me off is when there are juries, you know, there are juries at certain trials. Well, what is a jury? And in my opinion, a jury is a group of 12 ignorant, stupid people that know nothing about the law and they know nothing about investigation. Now, excuse me, I don't want a bunch of ignorant, stupid people doing an operation on me. I don't want a stupid, <laughs> ignorant person that doesn't know dentistry to start playing around with my teeth. Yet the lawyers think, you know, these uh, people that, uh, you know, the what do they call them, the lay people or whatever of a jury, these are not the people that should be deciding somebody's fate all the way up into the death sentences. This is asinine. Or for people, these lay people, to be deciding million-dollar or multi-million-dollar judgments on somebody, that is ridiculous. See, I guess I'm going to disagree with that one. I mean, I I was on I was uh, one time for jury duty, and when I I mean, yeah, there are some cases like I think of the one in Wisconsin where, I mean, it was like it was a bunch of grandmas that were on the jury. I do think that they scam, like, who they're going to pick. Like, if I pick a bunch of grandmas, the grandma grandma's not going to send, you know, somebody to jail because they feel bad. But I still, if we if we put it in, like, a jury of the government employee, eh, that's not going to end well. I still do have respect for a jury of our peers. But I don't think that you should be able to just have – you know, because what I understand is this jury process is that lawyers get to kick different people off the jury. So they are looking to try and get the, you know, the ones who aren't going to do the best job. Like when, I mean, I love grandmas, but grandmas, they don't want to hand down, you know, they don't want to hand down, like, judgment and find people guilty because they feel bad. So I do feel it needs to be a mix of our of okay. our population it needs to be represented by our population there well, is okay, something that we, could be done before we go any, we go any further here we've got a caller waiting online area code okay. 610 did you have a question or comment hi girl hi everybody it's elaine hi cause hi oh, marty hi elaine hey hi reverend and everybody um so uh i was going to like chime in on some of these different things you were talking about uh, all regarding, you know, everything about the whole system. Um, as far as the disciplinary boards, my experience and my, the experience of others that I know is that it's all, you know, connections and that these disciplinary boards primarily are lookout squads for the lawyers or the judges, whichever one it is, and they're protecting them. And the very few... Um, lawyers or judges that they may um, actually per take proceedings on are, are those that are just not connected or they are looking to take them down or it's somebody politically connected who's going after them. So that's that's been my experience with them. And in fact, there's lots of conflict of interest with those people that are on those boards. For example, like on yeah. the Judicial Conduct Board, 
My ex-husband's attorney, the opposing attorney, he was the chair of the JCB, of the Judicial Conduct Board, when I filed a complaint. So, so when the judge enters an order in favor of my ex-husband, who's, and his attorney is the chair, and I file a complaint, it's like dismissed. Another, another uh, guy that was the chief of the Judicial Conduct Board at another time when I filed this other complaint, he worked. He was a partner, the chief of the Judicial Conduct Board, right before he became that chief. He was at the law firm that my ex-husband was using to embezzle our companies. So during the period of time that my companies and assets were being embezzled, that the chief of the Judicial Conduct Board had been at that law firm. Then he became the chief. So when I filed some kind of fraud complaint, involving, you know, where things were happening incorrect at the court level. Again, my complaint was rubber stamp denied. And the same type of thing happened with the, um, you know, disciplinary uh, board. One time, somebody at the very top, I'm not going to say the person's name, I actually had a phone conversation with this guy many years ago um, when I filed a complaint. And he was trying to explain to me why he's not going to, they're not going to take some action. I said, well, wait a minute. I'm holding the brochure that I've got in your physical office. And I read it to him. And I said, based on this, you need to do something. And he, he, he paused for a minute. And then he says, listen, we don't want to take action. Because the attorney who I had filed a complaint against, you know, was a very, uh, I'm going to just use the words in general terms, connected. Okay, so that's kind of what happens there. And there was an article written about in my, uh, using my case as an example a number of years ago. And the newspaper wrote this article to explain how you really don't have recourse when you file these complaints because of all the connections. Um, yeah. you know, and if you're not a connect, like I'm, well, I'm using it loosely this term, okay? If you're not a connected attorney, then you may be sunk. The one thing that the, these boards do not like is if you are a judge or a lawyer and you embarrass the um, embarrass them with something like, um, well, I, you know, if you're public drunk, if you're drunk in public, or you know, some a drug issue, or you know, something that like embarrasses their field. But as far as all their misconduct, they do not care. Um, and the other thing that came up, you were mentioning juries. Uh, I'm, I can't speak for every court in the country because I certainly haven't been to every court. I've been in a couple, you know, in a couple different courts. But uh, one of the things that happens there in one of the courts that I've been in, those jury, the entire jury was already pre-screened and selected in the basement before they came up and every single person that was came up to be questioned um, to be selected was already on one side. And I had this jury trial and I, I had no attorney. And when we actually had to pick people, um, one of the people that came in said, listen, I already made my decision. I don't care what, what said in the trial because this case wouldn't be happening if one, you know, one of the sides was innocent. So a lot of these juries, and the other thing is they're not always of your peers, okay? Especially if you're taken in, especially if some kind of 
legal matter is not in your where you reside. If you are in a different county or something like that, they may not be of your peers, and it impacts it. It does have an impact. Um, I can't remember some of the other topics you were bringing up, but boy, oh, boy, I just listened, and I heard so many of them. And uh, by the way, I have a curious – I happen to have a disciplinary complaint right now pending against an attorney, and that attorney happens to not – be a connected attorney so they took this quite serious and brought the charges where the attorney had to respond and and it's gone to another level and guess who this attorney hired to defend him the opposing attorney in the case oh, so I, wow. I can have a conflict of interest i in other words i had an action against somebody and that somebody had to hire an attorney if you want to call them the defense attorney. My attorney, I'm just using general terms here, okay? My attorney didn't do stuff, real serious stuff that the board looked at, and there's no, they can't wiggle out of it, okay? I have records. My attorney, in so many words, threw me under the bus, and he hired the opposing counsel to defend him. Can you imagine that? That shows you how, how, you know, how horrible... That's yeah. the payoff because now he's going to pay the opposing counsel, quote, quote, their fees. It's just, you know, well, it's the payoff. Know, it, yeah. Well, it, it, there's, there's no other explanation that he was colluding the entire time. He threw me under the bus, and that's why he didn't file things he was supposed to file. And, you know, he misappropriated funds and all kinds of sort of things like that. I'm not going to make, you know, publicly detail it right now. I don't know that it's proper thing to do since it's not finalized or anything. Uh, but I'm just saying, the dirty deeds are unbelievable. And um, oh, the, the other thing you brought up about was people self-representing. And this is becoming more and more common because the average person cannot afford an attorney. The average person can't even afford a consultation fee. Um, um, uh, Reverend said about 325 an hour. I don't know of any attorneys who charge 325. Most of them are charging six, seven, eight, even up to a thousand an hour. Um, but you know what happens is people have to represent themselves, and you have to go and learn the law, which is what they did to me. I got thrown into the system. Uh, you know, it's either represent yourself or they completely crush you. And even when you learn the law, then they just won't apply it. And at some point, when you got them cornered and there's no wiggle room out, what do they do? They will enter an order to take away your constitutional rights like they did to me to block you from even accessing the court. You can't even get into the court because there's no, there's no explanation or opinion that they can even come up with after you corner them with every single fact and every single law. And what's really curious is that while you can't represent somebody if you're not an attorney, a licensed attorney, um, they expect regular people to go and represent themselves when you can't afford an attorney. And it's one thing if you're the person filing a suit, but what if you're defending and you can't afford an attorney and you're, you're screwed? Expected to yeah, you're expected to represent yourself and defend. Without any legal training, yet you're not allowed to go defend somebody or represent them without this 
more license. And Marty says it best, it's the biggest union in our country, and we need to break it up, and <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And I don't want to, yeah, okay, so I don't want to over, uh, you know, take over uh, the show, but I had thanks. to respond to some of oh. those things, and yeah. And, that's and for anyone who doesn't know, Elaine is talking about Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, when she talks about where her dealings are happening. Yes, the same. The same most county of, uh, that we're talking about right now with the odd holes. Yeah, most so. of it. I did. I had one collateral. I call it collateral. Something that ended up stumming, stemming out of stuff. It, I ended up in the Philadelphia court for just one thing. But yeah, most of it was in Montgomery County, and yeah. they have no cooth. They all work. You know, it's it's a. They all cover each other's back, scratch each other's back. Going all the way up to the DA, the commissioner's office, they're all working. And now the governor. Yes, and now the governor, um, who is who was the attorney general, who's, well, he's attorney general, I guess, until Tuesday when he gets sworn in as governor. And before he was attorney general, he was the commissioner. So this is how long he's been around. And now one of the commissioners uh, will become, I think, the de- somewhere the Department of Health and Human Services. So, you know, they got their hand. They, it's a vicious web. Montgomery County runs the state. Montgomery yeah. County runs yeah. the whole state of Pennsylvania, yeah. it appears. Yes, for, for quite, for you know, a number of years now. Um, I've heard otherwise from years before that it was another county. But, yeah, that's what we're dealing with. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. And, okay, well, so I don't know. I'm just, I... You know, yeah. I send my you know what I was hoping be, before our time is up, we really need to hear from Reverend Ralph about what happened. Did somebody have to go to jail, and how did that go down over the holidays? All right, I'll be happy to talk about that. All yeah, right. let's have a little recap of that, and I do have a hog report after that. All right. Well, um, as I said, uh, a year ago, Jess Koviak, who was court assigned to represent this loved person, uh, he filed a contempt of court charge against me because I revealed this person's name, uh, supposedly because in orphan's court they cannot, you know, the person has so much of a privacy. And as I said, that person's privacy was violated by the orphan's court with a a made-up evaluation and the fact that we were doing it only just to get the money of this loved person. So I went to prison for a week, almost a week, and uh, I was told by uh, Judge Weilheimer that the sentence was six months or until I deleted the information from my website. Well, I don't know anything about computers. I hired somebody to do it, to put up the website. So fortunately, uh, Elaine was there at the trial uh, a year ago, and yes. uh, she you, was Elaine. kind enough to be there. And uh, when I was left out in handcuffs, she called this computer person who then had the information deleted, and I was out in a week. Well, fast forward a year, and because I modified that section exposing the corruption of just Kobiak and the Judge Weilheimer and Logie and some other people, Ladakis. Uh, again, uh, just Kobiak brought up another contempt of court charge against me. Now, what's interesting is he only files civil contempt orders. Civil means 
that it's, it's, a, it's a charge that the court wants you to do something. But uh, as opposed to criminal contempt, where you have to have a trial. So Judge Weilheimer doesn't want criminal contempt because then I would have the right to a jury and also discovery and subpoenas and things like that, which would be used to expose the corruption. So she keeps it as civil contempt. So, uh, and this was, like I said, a month ago. And uh, just Koviak claimed, even though I deleted the person's name, supposedly the information was still revealing the person, which it did not in any way. But I kept all their names in there. That's what made them really mad, the fact that their names were left in there with the accusations of being corrupt. So uh, she found me guilty, Judge Weilheimer found me guilty, uh, sentenced me to prison for seven days, and that's where I was for seven days. Uh, The Guardian, Pam Blummer, uh, before I went to prison, refused to allow me to see this loved person for Thanksgiving, and then for Christmas refused to allow me to see this loved person even for Christmas. No reason given. So basically these guardians are not there for the benefit of the people. They're there as a power trip and also to uh, gouge money for themselves. And it's interesting how... um, how it adds up. Now, this Pam Blummer, who's the guardian of this love person, uh, guardian of person, uh, she said that she had 10 clients when uh, Jess Koviak recommended her to my lawyer. And we were desperate to get a guardian for this person, so we hired her, Pam Blummer. Well, no sooner was she hired than she hired her husband, Bill Blummer, who's a lawyer. So, When you hire a guardian, this is something people find out afterwards, when you hire a guardian, they immediately hire a lawyer, just like when Dwayne Logie was hired for guardian of person and estate for this loved person. He was hired by just Koviak and Brittany Camp. Uh, So what's interesting is no sooner was Dwayne Logie hired as a guardian, he hired Diane Zabowski. As his lawyer. So, oh my. so what, what the game is, the little trick is, you hire somebody who you think is the guardian at their rate of $100, $120 an hour, but then they hire a lawyer, so you combine the rate of, say, $450 total per hour because the guardian will talk to his lawyer who will then bill a billing hour. So you're not, char- you're not hiring somebody who will pay that lawyer fee from their money. You're hiring somebody who can hire as many people as they want, and the victim has to pay for all that. That's one of the ways that it drains the clients of the victim's account. So with uh, a situation of um, this Pam Blummer, well, she hired her lawyer, her husband, who was a lawyer. Well, it turns out Bill Blummer was a friend of Jess Koviak. So you have people hiring each other just because they are going to be kicking back money because they were hired. So after finally a couple months ago, two months ago, we got rid of, my lawyer and I got rid of Bill Blummer because it was a conflict of interest. So another lawyer was hired from the same law firm who was a friend of Jess Koviak. 
So it's everybody's got everybody's hands in each other's pocket, and it's just if that's not corruption, I don't know what is. I mean, you talk about connected. It's everybody who knows somebody who will be doing this type of corruption on the victims will be getting extra money for doing it. So if again, it's it is such a crime. Literally, it's not funny. Um, so basically, after a week, I was released from prison. And, uh, of course, I couldn't tell the loved person where I was. I just made up an excuse that I just didn't, I wasn't able to come in there to visit this person. So, uh, again, and I understand it, that Jess Koviak, uh, from my lawyer, is trying to work up another contempt of court charge against me civilly for some unknown reason. But I can assure you they do listen to this radio show, and these people do not like their names being exposed because exposure is the poison of all this corruption. Uh, if you have a yeah. website, radio shows, uh, and so forth, they do not want their names exposed, just like any criminal doesn't want their identity exposed. And this is something where, um, you know, the people that are going through this or they're just starting to go through it, you have to really, really make sure you get all the evidence, all the documents you can and find out as much as you can about these guardians and the lawyers that they hire and so forth by going through the court records to see who is hiring yeah. each other. Now, again, this is Pennsylvania. I don't know how other states work it, but the first thing, uh, and we've talked about this in previous shows, the first thing these people have to do is find out in your state what is the criteria for what is or constitutes an evaluation or method that your loved person will be subject to pertaining to determining their incapacitation. If it's just somebody like a psychologist just sitting with the person for a half an hour and all, to me that's a joke because who knows that person better than the family? Nobody, not some quack who sits with them for an hour, an hour and a half, and says, well, they didn't pass a couple of paper and pencil tests that they themselves didn't have any accuracy ever devised for them. So you really have to find out what is the criteria that's going to be used to determine incapacitation. And even if you're past that point, still check it out. Find out what is the accuracy or what are the standards in your state that will determine if somebody is incapacitated. And if the lawyer did not call the people, the lawyer, if the court assigned a lawyer to represent that person, if that lawyer did not call, number one, the person's primary doctor, and did not call or find out as far as the financial records of that person, for example, did they bounce checks or things like that, which would indicate they need a possible guardian, then Basically, that lawyer was useless to defend that person against guardianship. And this is what happened with my loved person and Jess Kobiak. He never contacted any of these person's medical doctors or uh, financial advisors that would have shown they know nothing was ever done that needed guardianship. On top of that, he refused to have the person come to court to say for themselves that they do not need a guardianship and to show that they still, aside from a little memory, uh, you know, forgetfulness, 
did not do anything like bounce checks of a million dollars or uh, wrote a check to the tooth fairy or something like that that would indicate somebody really did not have a grasp on reality. So, again, it's a shame that so many people have been screwed over and their families have gone through this only for the very first time. And, again, they're going to make mistakes. There's just no two ways about it. And, unfortunately, the people that do this crime, they know the ropes. They know what they're going to do and how they're going to respond. And uh, I I think the best non-legal advice that I still remember to this day was about eight months ago when I met Mary Bush, and everybody has heard and knows Mary Bush. She basically made herself a lawyer with what she's going through. But she told me eight months ago, she said, in this situation of guardianship corruption, she said, you can never be reactive. You cannot be reactive, meaning that the corrupt lawyer and the corrupt guardian, they do things, they file papers, and you have to react to it. They know what you're going to do. They know how you're going to do it. Mary said, you have to be proactive. You have to file papers to throw them off. You have to do things that make them wonder what are they going to do to try to neutralize what you've just done. And for me, it was putting up the website with the 28-page narrative of what happened and the players and so forth and the pictures and other information to document just how this person has suffered under these guardians and also under uh, the control of the court-assigned lawyer. So it's basically where, uh, by doing those things, you expose them and they don't know how to deal with it. This is the same way with uh, when I put up the website. And what's also interesting is, as part of the deal for me to get out of prison uh, this most recent time, I had to also get this. I had to sign a document to Amazon, who um, is in charge of the Wayback Machine. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a website where you can type in any name of a website, and it goes back, you know, you decide what year you want to go back to, and it will show that exact website at that time. Well, the judge and Jess Koviak forced me to sign a letter to Amazon saying that even though they had archived my original website with the pictures and the documents and all that put me in prison, that they wanted me to sign that letter demanding Amazon even delete that website that was archived by Amazon. So in other words, they're doing everything possible to cover their rear ends, so as little yeah. evidence left, uh, as little evidence is left of what crimes they were committing. It's like a criminal demanding the police throw out all the evidence against him and then say, well, gee, I didn't commit a crime. What evidence do you have? Yeah, that's so interesting. You it's- obviously posted something very powerful that is driving right. them insane. And as far as this Jaskawayak, I personally had to deal with him, and I know he brags that he fired me. So I think, I hope he's really happy about the torture that a Korean War vet had to endure on five milligrams of halidol, as that was the issue that was in hand in our trial. So he should be – obviously, he's really excited that he was able to continue the torture of a Korean War vet. So 
Jack Wyatt goes way back. He's pretty much been, in my opinion, racketeering with all these same names. He is not new to the scene. He goes way back, including my court documents and others. And I do know shenanigans did. So there's like a whole YouTube on on some. It wasn't even anybody that I know. Shenanigans had, I don't know, had some 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 case and Jessica Wyatt was the main player of one of the one of the YouTubes that are out there. You go to I think it's like on YouTube Kangaroo Court under Shenanigans in Montgomery County and you can watch those YouTubes. But I'll have to find okay. that one and repost it. But we have we have a, I, we have a hog report. Okay, ahead, can Marty. I say something real quick? Yeah. Um Reverend when you were talking about these psychologists, psychiatrists and them making these determinations supposedly based on interviews that they never did, most likely. When it comes to psychiatry and all of that, everything is based on observation and the interpretation by that individual of what they observed. There is no, and I mean no, medical, physical evidence that anything is actually wrong. It's not like you go and have a medical test for your heart or your lungs or whatever. Mm-hmm. When it comes to all of this psychoanal, whatever babble it is, it's all based on observation. They have no proof. That's why there's no criteria for what must be included in one of these tests. Is because they have no proof that this condition exists other than they said so. That's it. <laughs> That's their big PhD. Yeah. It's, it's like once you get a PhD, you've got a ticket to steal. And yep. it, yeah. it really is pathetic. And, uh, Kaz, before I forget, uh, you were talking about just Kowiak and that Haldor and all. Uh, that was um, uh, – that that person was Deb Clock who did that, yes. who has a very, very yes. dirty history. And what's interesting is when this loved person was first guardianized and Dwayne Logie was appointed by just Kowiak, uh, uh, Logie hired Deb Clock to be the care manager of this love person, which freaked the heck out of me because I know Deb Clock's history. And to this day, Pam Blummer still has her on as care manager. Now, this is is ridiculous that she is the care or she is the guardian. That is her job. What does she think her job is as guardian? And yet uh, here you have she keeps his Deb Clock on when there's no reason for it to have her on. Yeah, it's just the more people they can have on, the more people they're they're going to charge. You know, you're probably going to have right. a music therapist come in and play music without – like this happened to Harvey. He doesn't even have his hearing aids because Deb Clark wouldn't give them to him. But then they bring in a music therapist. He can't even hear the music. Like this is so <laughs> stupid. And charges like, you know, a 100 and some dollars. And I remember like put inflation in. It's probably $300 an hour for today. We, this goes way back. And um, but but yeah, absolutely. They just keep letting their friends feast. There was like the dog person that would come, the comfort dog, and then you pay that person a bunch of money. The art therapy where they're going to come and draw pictures. But these people charge a lot of money for all this kind of stuff. And, and Kyle, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. The no, one go ahead. Question. The one question I think everybody who is going through this, even if they've been going through it for six months and their person has been guardianized, the one question they should always ask is, how is that person better off now? 
medically, yes. mentally, physically, and happiness, how are they better off now than they were before the guardianship? And if the answer is great... they're not, if they're, if yes. the answer is they're not better off, then all of those people were not doing their jobs, and they're right. they're taking the money should be refunded because you don't pay people money and not to be to be worse off than you were before. Yeah, that to me yeah, is I mean, malpractice. Absolutely. We've never found anybody that was happy with them. I would say the craziest thing that happened in court, and we have the court records to prove what I'm about to say. I need to, like, turn it into my Facebook profile because I say this one all the time. So Diane Zabowski is cross-examining Deb Clock because we were trying to have her removed as the guardian, and we even we were moving we were going to move Harvey out here to Wisconsin. There was no family member in opposition. The person in opposition was Univest Bank, David Jaskowiak, representing Univest Bank, and then the court-appointed attorney, Diane Zabowski. So those are the two that were in protest of Harvey leaving and being in a better place. There was not one family member that was opposition. We were all, we were just horrified that this was going along. But anyway, so Deb Clock cross-exam, or Diane Zabowski cross-examining Deb Clock says, the Winton family is upset that Harvey doesn't have his hearing aids, his glasses, or his teeth. But you're you're concerned with the more important things. Isn't that right, Deb? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. I'm waiting to hear what's more important than being able to hear, being able to see, and being able to chew your food. Because I want to know what she was talking about, what was more important than those three things. And then judge, oh, yep, yep, there. I think what was more important was fleecing the money and putting it in their own pocket, and they slipped up there. But anyway... We have. <laughs> we got a quick one here in the last few minutes. Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page is a sponsor of these shows. And a real quick hog report. We have heard now that there is a new House of Representatives, that there is a new committee that is being um, they're making this new committee, and they didn't want it, but this is the only way this Kevin McCarthy clown could get voted in, and so they're going to do it. And they're going to be investigating that certain agencies have been weaponized against the people of the United States. We're seeing a little bit of action. We've seen some um, Dana Nessel in Michigan all of a sudden, oh, bad guardian, and they're starting to open up investigations. So we're starting to hear little, little tremors of investigations. But there's a glory hog out there, and I need to warn you, when the glory hog is involved in your investigations, this is what the glory hog is telling people to complain about. Make sure now... These are not the things that you should complain about, but this is what the glory hog is coaching people to say. You complain that there's cockroaches in the, in the nursing home. You complain about the physical, the physical area of the nursing home. You complain about the food that they're eating. You complain that they're not wearing the outfits that they like or that their hairstyle is a thing. If you are really talking to somebody about a, like, a legit investigation, those are not the things that you complain about. But the hog is coaching people to complain about those items. What you need to be focusing on is the racketeering and connecting the dots of all the people that are engaged. These other things can be brought up 
after. But with the hog coaching people to complain about the physical the physical look of the nursing home and what foods people are eating, it's making people look not, they're not going to take you serious. And the hog is going to help make sure that the investigations don't happen. So we're starting to hear little rumblings. I know there's a big rumbling in Michigan, a little bit of rumblings there in um, Florida. Probably won't see any rumblings in Pennsylvania because Montgomery County's got that state locked up. But anyway, whatever state you're in, and if there's any investigations that you start to be part of, don't in, don't invite the hogs to your party. And if they start to coach you to complain about what color outfit your loved one is wearing and that's not the color that they want, do you not realize how fast the investigation will be shut down? So the hog is is coaching people for his and her own agenda. And I don't know what that agenda is. But have you heard that, Marty? What would you like to say about my hog report? Yes, well, it's true. And we're everywhere we've seen the hog rear up, uh, things fall apart every single yeah. time. Uh, and yeah. many times people end up in jail or they're on the run. Um, yeah. Be careful who you, you trade with. We're always very careful about recommending anything and never from the legal aspect we don't give out legal advice of course we don't lie and tell people we're lawyers either and um right but you know i mean this just goes on but yeah thanks for that i think that was a a necessary little report there uh, just a warning to people uh just because somebody says they're big and important and probably the only place they are is in their own house um anyway We've got less than a minute left here. Everybody, thank you. Reverend Ralph, thank you, as always. You always add so much good stuff. And, Cause, yes. thank you for holding up the end there for me. We'll be back next week. I'm not sure who we're going to have on just yet, but I'm working on it. And uh, we'll, we'll continue with this because I want to hear all this turns out with Reverend Ralph. And, Cause, as always, thank you for everything you do. Um, I couldn't couldn't make it without you these days. Everybody have a good Aww. evening, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Bye. Good night. Bye bye.